0: This is The Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter, matter in the pursuit of your potential and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. Do you ever wrestle with what feels like opposite emotions at the same time? know you're excited about the project you're working on, but are incredibly stressed and frustrated when working on it. Being a parent makes you super happy, but you're a very anxious parent. Or you're trapped by fear your money is dwindling, but you hope that it will soon change. When we face these opposing forces, we often layer an additional challenge on ourselves by thinking that one feeling's got to be wrong and one feeling's got to be right. And in the process, we make ourselves wrong for whatever we're feeling. A classic example would be you find yourself guilty for something you did or didn't do, but then you go ahead and feel guilty about feeling guilty. But with our infinite capacity to learn and develop skills, managing the complexity of our emotions, the challenges and navigating the ups and downs of life is an absolutely learnable skill. So I'm delighted to bring to you today, Catherine Bailey. Catherine has spent decades diving into a deep understanding of the human condition, working with some of the most disadvantaged members of our society and some of the highest profile, successful and influential members of our society. Through the thousands of interactions she's had, Catherine's superpower is to help simplify and ease the way forward for people who are struggling to move forward in challenging times. What's more, Catherine masterfully mixes the art of calling it straight, even when it's hard to hear, and always coming from love. I'm excited to bring this conversation to you, and I equally hope that you will find a few nuggets in our conversation today with Catherine that can change your perspective on how you are navigating, showing up, or dealing with some of the complexities of your life. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Catherine Bailey. For more than 25 years, Catherine has been an energetic, passionate, heart-led agent of change. Her expertise lies in helping individuals and organizations perform at the highest level in the face of chronic stress, adversity, and trauma. Catherine's approach is grounded in social science, business theory, neuroscience, and spiritual practice, giving her a unique and powerful perspective that helps simplify how to break through the complexity of barriers that often hold us back from achieving our true potential. The organizations she's helped inspire cultures of hope and reclaim greater meaning and purpose are vast, include Apple, the United States Air Force, the Giants of Wall Street, and one of her personal favorites, NASA. Catherine, it's such a pleasure to spend time with you today. Welcome to The Ignition Show.
1: Thank you, Chris. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: So, You and I had a great chat just before we started recording here, and you've described the core idea that we wanted to talk about today as a dialectical approach to managing complexity. What do you mean by that?
1: So It's actually a very simple idea, which is the idea that you can hold two things that seem to be opposite, emotions, opinions, perspectives, true at the same time. So two seemingly opposite things can both be true.
0: So Can you give us an example of that?
1: So really where I discovered the power of this idea was in my work um, in a system where staff people took care of juveniles with uh, lots of challenges. And um, I was charged with helping them adopt a trauma-informed approach, which meant making a connection between what's happened to these youngsters and the behaviors that we would see um, before us, you know, in real time. and. So part of the, you know, thinking behind that is, you know, obviously hard life experiences, lots of, you know, trauma, perhaps deprivation, perhaps abuse. Um, And I would go in to help staff connect that behavior and to, for themselves to um, adopt a more effective, compassionate approach with the youth. So what, inevitably happened, you know, for most part, most of the staff that I would work with, I would train, you know, big groups of people, some 50 to 100 people at a time, they got it. That's why they entered the field. They were passionate about the children. They were passionate about their work. And, um, but inevitably there was a handful of people that were really closed off to that connection. And it was because their experience was with, you know, seeing children that were aggressive, um or oppositional or what they would, you know, deem as disrespectful. Um sometimes staff would have just gotten out of a, a pretty difficult altercation that morning. And so, you know, the pushback was, yeah, you know, you don't really understand what what we're dealing with here. These are kids that need a kick in the ass, right? And the breakthrough for me, because, you know, you're trying to explain sort of that connection between the trauma history and what was going on, the breakthrough for me came when I said, you know what, both are true. You can really experience these kids as difficult in, in real time, um, and that's the case, and I actually come out of the world working with, with children like that as well, and you can simultaneously hold compassion and have understanding for what brought them here. And it was as soon as that I would acknowledge and it's when I even have a hand motion that kind of would accompany that with just sort of holding up two different things um, at the same time. And as soon as I was able to um, kind of give them permission to say, yeah, both are true. Some of these kids are really problematic or you might not like them or you might really struggle deeply. And simultaneously, we can understand why they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything changed. It kind of softened. So, So that's that was sort of the origin of. Um, me connecting with the power of this example, of this idea.
0: So it can be, I, I don't want to oversimplify what you're saying, but just to make sure that I'm, um, I'm falling in step with this, is that you can have two opposing feelings towards someone. And what's the magic? So it, I, could, I could like them, I could be despi- despise them at the same moment, I could be really frustrated at them or think that they are very uncooperative yet at the same time maybe have compassion as to why they're feeling unco- uh, uncooperative. What's the power of holding both of those at the same time? Why is that such a breakthrough? Why has that been such a breakthrough thought or experience for you and the people that you've worked with?
1: Well, I, think, I mean, there's two, in that example, I think there's two layers to that. One was in the training just with me, right? It was, it was in the um, allowing to take in a different perspective or new information just by first acknowledging the other. So part of it was they, there was less energy, um, expended in defending that, you know, I, I didn't really understand the kids were problematic. They were disrespectful. They were, you know, there's no excuse for that. There's no accountability. Um, and then the other part of it is what was, I think, the more important piece was allowing people to recognize and stay in touch with both of those, uh, pieces during the difficult, during the challenges. Um, and, and remembering that you don't have to choose. Yes, the, the, the child in front of you might be cursing at you or spitting on you or, you know, whatever was going on. Um, but that also you could still stay connected. It's easier to stay connected with compassion when you can also say, and I, and I can understand where this is coming from. And so often people think it it's just one or the other.
0: And is compassion or empathy, are those really at the root of being able to hold these opposites, is that are those the two kind of states or feelings or emotions that are very prominent when you look at how to manage this complexity?
1: I think in some examples, it's there's certainly the emotional component um, is what leads. I'll, I'll just give you another example. You know, when I was in my twenties, um, one of the things that I wrestled with and started therapy was um, relationship with family and my parents. And I loved my parents and I loved my parents very much. Um, And actually separated from them, I think kind of probably later in the developmental piece, more in my twenties than the teenage years, which is more typical. Uh, But one of the things that was really difficult for me was the fact that I just, I loved them so much. And I was coming to terms with things um, about their parenting and about our relationship that felt unacceptable that felt unappealing, that felt, you know, not helpful to me. And it caused a lot of guilt. It caused a lot. There was a lot of energy expended in, you know, trying to um, kind of disavow those feelings, to distance myself. You know, if I was a good person, I would understand. They made sacrifices. They loved me. But the reality, there was something very freeing to say, I feel both ways. I feel tremendous love and I feel really annoyed at Some of the dynamics that, you know, honestly to this day sometimes still pop up. Um, And had my therapist back then been able to say both are true and, and, you know, and both can be true, it really would have helped in the emotional piece. I also think there's other implications as well in terms of conflict resolution, problem solving. Um, I think there's implications for even political discussions, you know, so sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's ideological but I
0: think there's lots of uses for this framework. So again, maybe give us a, give us a, maybe a a typical scenario. You've, you've talked about, you know, certainly shows up a lot in relationships, whether it's with, with parents or a loved one or your, your spouse or whatever it may be. Give us maybe a a really common example where someone could be really struggling with uh, some aspect of the relationship and, Bringing this perspective can open up, open up new ways to resolve the conflict or resolve the inner, inner struggle that they're dealing with.
1: Well, if we're thinking about relationships and particularly emotions, I mean, I think of the new parent, right? So the new parent who obviously loves their, their baby and so excited and perhaps even struggled to, to, you know, to get pregnant or to have their baby and then is simultaneously feeling anger, Um, or, um, you know, distancing or, um, some really challenging feelings towards their baby, you know, either associated with their, um, the behavior of the baby or the changes in their life or their lifestyle, the losses that haven't been grieved. Um, so right there again, giving, you know, and often there's a lot of guilt that is associated with that. You know, how can I feel this way? Um, thinking about, you know, um, people that take care of elderly parents and, you know, the, the, and obviously when an elderly parent passes away and they've been suffering in pain, you know, the easier thing to say is well, they're in a better place. Right. But sometimes the feeling is just that, um, that was really a burden. And while they loved, you know, obviously that family member very much, the limitations that it might've put on their life or their freedom or even, you know, struggling with often, you know, sometimes older people aren't always grateful or, uh, you know, very appealing, um, you know, so that sense of relief when they pass. So mm-hmm. the idea is you can really miss a person, you know, and also feel really relieved that that dynamic is, is no longer there.
0: Um, yeah, what you say there- amazing
1: how much- Yeah, go right ahead.
0: Sorry, I was just going to say what, what you say there about parenting is I can certainly relate to and Sarah and I can certainly relate to. Uh, and, you know, one mm-hmm. of the- one of the, I suppose, uh, breakthroughs, if you want to call it that, that we both had was that we both recognize that in those moments where we are uh, experiencing, let's say, some sort of negative motion around our little guy, our little baby, uh, you know, whether it's we're getting frustrated or we're getting irritated or agitated, what we've identified is that in 99% of the time, I can't even think of a, a time where it's not, so maybe it is 100%, 99% of the time, What's I really the root there is that we are wanting to do something else. Like it could be as simple as we're trying to multitask, right? We're watching over him and we're trying to send some emails off to somebody about something. And he's constantly interrupting us, typing up that email. It could be that we've had, we had the intention of um, getting something done around the house. Like we really wanted to clean up that room this afternoon while he was napping. Well, suddenly now he's gone from a, what is usually an hour and a half nap to a 20-minute nap. And so suddenly our day is kind of, you know, if we were really flipping about it, kind of derailed because this guy has some needs. He can't take care of himself. But that, that 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 simple distinction and that awareness that the really the only time we get really agitated or frustrated on him is because we had intended to do something else. So we're, so we're not being fully present with him. But in those moments where we kind of either decide that all we need to do right now is just be with him, whether that's playing, whether it's watching over, whether that's feeding, whatever it might be, we just need to be there. And immediately, I've certainly have experienced it. And I'm sure Sarah would say the same. Is that there's just this this whole body relaxation. It's sometimes it's it's you know re rethinking the plans for the day. Sometimes it's surrendering to the moment. Sometimes it's just allowing nature and what this little guy needs to become our priority. And it can, in a very empowering way, it kind of reset us to what what's really important. And um so yeah, we can love we can love the little guy and we can be super frustrated at the same time. But the distinction that um that it's it's on us, it's we're causing the frustration within ourselves because we had want to do something else it was really um it was really eye-opening and almost relieving and so as you say there's a relief to it even though you are experiencing frustration at the same time.
1: Right, and I think it's honoring your feelings. And I, you know, and to take that even more deeply, which I think for some people, you know, feels horrifying to even hear, but sometimes people just don't like parenting. They just don't yeah. like it. I don't enjoy this part, you know, and, and then feel a tremendous sense of guilt. And the reality is you can love being a parent and, and sometimes not enjoy it. And mm. so seeming opposites, right? Like if you love being a parent, you love being a parent, not always. You know, but there's something very freeing to just noticing the authentic reactions, the feelings in the moment, um, and allowing it to happen. And then it really, as I said, there, there's something about it, it sort of discharges a lot of the energy, um, leading to, I think, a greater sense of peace and authenticity as well.
0: Yeah. And it makes me also think that, um, you know, a lot of the work that, similar work that you and I do is, is, is helping people to... Uh, to stop wrestling with, stop wrestling with some of these, what I would call these internal conflicts is, you know, you're being pushed and pulled in two different directions, either emotionally or, or, you know, whatever you've got going on. But definitely people resolve that and often find that one of the, one of the fundamental things that people need to do is to, is to, as a way to uh, untangle what they're wrestling with is give themselves permission to just kind of sit with this challenge that they're having rather than wrestling with it sit with it kind of feel what you're feeling or or experience what you're experiencing fully even if that includes experiencing opposites and would you say it's the same thing that when people you know just in those examples where they they want to be with someone or or they you know they they let's say parenting as an example that they uh, love being a parent but they also really don't like some parts of it is that part of it is that this aspect of giving permission a big part of that do you think
1: Absolutely. I think there's a few parts. I think it's recognition. And, you know, I mean, the first part is that, you know, most people aren't even attuned to their authentic feelings, right? Because, you know, you might have grown up in a, a family where it wasn't okay to, to be a complainer or to say, I feel sad today, you know? you know, put on a positive face or, you know, so sometimes we weren't even taught an emotional vocabulary or even the ability to recognize those emotions so I think that's part of it is the, just the recognition. Um, and then I think the second piece, which you know, you're so wisely talking about, it's, it's really about giving yourself permission and also about giving yourself permission to not have to resolve it. You know, the, the idea there's something very freeing about, it's all true and all of those feelings are welcome and, um, and they might seem contradictory, you know, but it, it doesn't matter, it's okay and they're all part of me. And there, it really is very, very powerful. I think what often is the case is that people are less inclined to accept, I mean, they're more inclined to disavow the emotions that they would deem unappealing, in a sense, you know, and, and there's a real danger in that, because when you sort of uh, dissociate yourself from those emotions, they then will pop up looking like other problems, or other things, or now all of a sudden, you're, you know, yelling at your dog, or your, your blood pressure is high, or so again, a lot of it is about giving yourself the permission to your point to just say, it's all really welcome. And it doesn't have to make sense.
0: So if you were, if you were advising someone, coaching someone who was even wrestling with the concept of giving themselves permission, you know, they, they kind of buy into it in theory, but they're, they're really experiencing some resistance around that. What would be some really practical steps or advice or questions you might pose to them? Or just how would you help them to wrap their head around what, what it means to give yourself permission. Cause I think it's a really important point, but some people may not fully, um, fully be able to wrap their head around on their own on, on what that means.
1: I mean, for me, it's really a, sort of a didactic, the explanation of the concept that we're talking about. I mean, what I will often say to people is, you know, an approach that I find really useful and I, and I really explain it to them that two things that you think, you know, you need to figure out or that feel like opposites are both true and we can accept that. Um, And I'll just give you an example, you know, um, another example, I um, was, you know, in a conversation with a wonderful gentleman whose spouse became ill with one of those kind of illnesses that's hard to figure out. They didn't know, but basically his spouse was incapacitated. And this person had been a powerhouse, had been an amazing partner. They had, you know, several kids together. Um, and it really wasn't able to show up for a long time, and um, my connection was was really wrestling, but but went very quickly to the idea of well, you know, you, you do what you can, and you know, I love her, and but I said, hold on, I said let's let's just you know incorporate that other piece of it, which is is really hard. This you 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 might you know be feeling, and sometimes it's just helping someone, you know, I think there's a sadness connected with that. I think there's anger. Right. Um, she's not pulling her weight. She's not. Pull- and there was such a lightning in, in uh, for him in terms of energetically. And there were also tears as I think he really recognized that both can be true. You can love this person so much. You can you know, show up dutifully. You can uphold your commitment and you can be really annoyed that this is what's going on. And, and this is the current situation and, and, and annoyed that you're having to do probably, you know, way more than uh, you would want to be doing or it seems fair to do or all of those things are true. And somehow that just, as I said, we in a different way moving forward. So I often And then with that person, I taught it just as the theory and which I do pretty much in, I'd say, 90 percent of the trainings. It almost always comes up. And it's just about putting words to that phenomenon. Hmm.
0: Yeah, you talked about uh, um, a lot of times we don't grow up with um, emotional vocabulary, a bit you know, a way to talk mm-hmm. about emotions that we feel, talk about it, understand it, process it, etc. You know, I've, I always feel very, very lucky that I, I can recall when I was a teenager, you know, in high school, dealing with teenage, you know, stresses or emotional roller coasters that. I don't think I was taught by anything, but it's just something I came just naturally started to do that. If I was crawling in bed one night and I was just feeling agitated in some way, and I'm a, a, you know pretty calm guy overall. If I was feeling agitated in some way, I just started asking myself a question like, where did that come from? And I would literally go back through the day. Was it, you know, did it happen in this class? Did someone say something? Am I feeling, you know, embarrassed about something? And, and almost every single time when I could go back to where did that really um, Uh, start? Where did that feeling start from? What was the situation or scenarios? And so many times I realized that whatever I was able to, when I was able to really articulate to myself, what, what's the feeling that I'm feeling? Is it frustration? Is it anger? Is it guilt? Is embarrassment? Um, And I can take it back to the exact moment. I'd say 90% of the time it was like, Oh, that's no really big deal. I can approach it differently next time, or I can do it. I can do it this way. Or now that I've, you know, five or six hours have passed since that moment, I realized it wasn't such a big thing after all. And I was really able to, um, I guess, dissipate some of those, those intensive negative feelings and I would sleep great. And the next day was just the next day. And I realized at the time that I was doing this a lot, but I also re- have learned that it's a very rare thing for anyone to do, let alone a teenage teenager and maybe even more, more rare a teenage guy to, to, to kind of get introspective about his own emotions. But that aspect of having some language and understanding, I think, is so fundamental, and it's an unfortunate reality that we're not really taught that in our cultures, or certainly in our education system. And you know, parents come from a different generation, and uh, you know, it wasn't culturally a thing to talk about emotions back in the day. So yeah, the um, there is certainly a void knowing that we're all emotional creatures, and you know, if you look at them, even if you look at the major stats, our our society has never been more stressed more overwhelmed, more depressed than we've ever been before. And arguably, we have it easier than any generation uh, that's gone ahead of us when you think about world wars and everything else. So so it's really, it's again, it's a, it's a, it's a really dichotomy of, of opportunities that we have in front of us and our culture today. And yet the void that we often experience because we're never really given the right language to, to dissect and understand what's going on for us.
1: I love it. I mean, and on sur- we're not giving the language. I, yep,
0: go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
1: No, I mean, I think it's it, totally unusual for you to do that, not surprised. And I think that's why kind of the, the awesome person and, and, you know, both professionally and personally that you are now, um, I think it is rare. One is just learning the vocabulary. And the other one, just to, to piggyback on what you're saying, is giving yourself the space and sort of that big, you know, that spaciousness to even think about things right? How do I feel about this? What, you know, how can I reconcile it? Um, And so, you know, and that's just, you know, getting to that emotional piece and then ultimately it, you know, and I think this is where sometimes people push back. Ultimately you often do have to decide, right. And, you know, especially so far we've been talking about a lot of the relational thing, which is um, I think why this is in, in part hugely helpful, but it also is helpful for managing other types of complexity, and you know sometimes the pushback is well everything's not acceptable i don't think that's true i think you know ultimately you have to make some decisions right so we can hold um well let's just say this example here i mean there are you know lots more people men would admit that are sexually aroused by things that they also find repugnant that is a dichotomy right there right Now, at the end of the day, just because you feel one way, you know, your actions or your decision has to be clear or hopefully is clear, right? Um, But just noticing there are a lot of of pain points of people that aren't even able to recognize that complexity within themselves. So I think, I mean, that's just another example where people really wrestle because, you know, on one hand, I know that this is not okay. On the other hand, I find myself, you know, find this appealing or attracted to it or i find my feel self feeling a certain way and i think it's the uh, our lack of ability to talk about those really hard confusing complex things that often leads to people feeling shamed or guilty or you know self-harming or occasionally suicidal so i mean that's just another example so it, it this isn't a lack of accountability um, you know you can yeah so anyway just i don't know what you think about that but Um, That's just another thought that I have is, you know, it it doesn't mean that you don't decide or that everything goes. It just means that the first step is recognition, authenticity, noticing what's happening. Um, And then you usually have to come down on one side or the other.
0: And so uh, I've also heard you say that we tend to overemphasize the need to be decisive. So how do you, how do you square that circle? How do you, how do you find the right way to balance that of, being able to hold both and the importance of holding both opposites uh, yet needing to decide
1: i mean i think it's for me more communication and more transparency especially with all the leadership coaching i do you know ceo coaching Whatever. to me the more transparent um and communicative we can be the better right and i think that when we are communicative people understand the need to, to make a decision um and, and often decisions aren't ideal, right? Uh, so, you know, I worked with um, a person years ago in, uh, again, in, in a different type of residential treatment that did something really bad to a client. Um, and this was a fantastic person. I had been friends with him for a long time. And, um, and, and it wasn't, uh, it was just in the heat of the moment, lost his temper and, you know, and he had to be fired. And the reality was, it was the right thing. You can't hurt people. You can't hurt kids. You can't hurt other people, you know? So the decision, while difficult, um, it had to be made. You know, just understanding doesn't mean the lack of accountability. But we didn't have to vilify the person. And what was really good about that example was the person that was leading it at that time was very transparent about how difficult that decision was. And I think we could use more of that um i think because of soundbites and you know the, the, the need to say everything in a tweetable you know length or often people um, are inclined to just be black or white very concrete you're either for us or against us you know um i think it's gotten even more so in the last few years and and i think it's unfortunate because i don't think we either take the time or have the relationships or the trust in each other to wrestle with these um, types of things that decisions that need to be made. Ultimately, you have to make a decision. I mean, that's always going to be the case. Um, and, and, and understanding different parts of something doesn't mean that there's no accountability. But there is something to having that wider examination that just feels better. I think it promotes better attachments. I think it promotes better outcomes. I think it promotes better buy in. Well, but so often saying, we expect someone to either be vilified or not, you know, or something to be, to be very concrete.
0: Well, and you're to the point about not vilifying the person, and it kind of loops back to uh, something you said at the very beginning about having compassion for either people's history or what's really going on for that person. What it makes me think about is one of the, I suppose, really uh, fundamental shifts that I learned somehow, learned from somebody that really made, made me see the world differently. Maybe made me see how I deal with my clients differently, especially people who are really, really challenging situations, is that behind every behavior, there's a positive intent. We're trying to get one of our highest and most important needs met, even in the most destructive behavior. We're trying to get a need met. You know, the classic example might be a kid who, you know, joins a gang and starts putting a gun to someone's head for either stealing something, or trying to be the tough guy, or trying to have a you know be on a power trip or whatever, but when you can have some empathy or some compassion, or at least be able to kind of elevate yourself out of the fear of the moment and see that why would a young young boy be doing such a thing, and you really seek out what is a positive? Does mean it's, it doesn't mean it's a good thing? It just means their intention is to try to get a need met. And so often it's either a need of survival, it's a need of love, it's a need of belonging that's been absent for them. And when you can understand that that person is not a victim, but they've had some situ- uh, situation in their life, it can really change the way that you feel towards them, you, your understanding of them, and just how you interact with a lot of challenging situations. So I agree with you that what, we, what causes a lot of problems in our culture, and in, in our relationships, is that we end up making the other person wrong or bad rather than starting from a place of understanding what's really going on for that person.
1: Absolutely, I actually have it's sort of uh, you know, that example in particular, I have what's become for me a, sort of a comical interaction years ago uh, before I understood how to explain this framework um, in in a, a meeting with a big group of people um, trying to, again, with that that trauma lens, trying to kind of um explain or have a conversation about how important for a lot of the the youngsters in their care their gang affiliations were and i didn't have the language to say you know no it's not great and here are the parts where for them it is great and they're both Mm -hmm. true right There are parts that are very dangerous there are parts that are um fulfilling a need that they have love and belonging all of those things you said and i walked out of that room thinking I think I'm like the the, the pro-gang lady, right? Which was almost, you know, and at the time it wasn't comical. Now I realize like, you know, I just didn't have the ability to communicate that. Um, but, but to your point, exactly. I mean, it would have been a whole different feel in that room. And, and also I think a different approach with the kids, right? It's, you know, so, um, but it does take, Understanding of the framework, it does take time. It does take sort of that spaciousness that you that you had talked to um, talked about before. It also takes a willingness to have the conversations, you know, and to and to calm our physiology enough to really be able to take in other perspectives.
0: I want to loop back to something you mentioned uh, a, a while back in this conversation. Of you, you made the comment of rather than wrestling with a lot of these, you know, dichotomy of emotions that we might be feeling in any scenario. Uh, we really should be welcoming them all. Tell us more about what you mean. Like, what do you mean by welcoming them all? And, and again, how does someone go about doing that? If it's just something that's really, really challenging?
1: Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I think it's on two levels, right? It's, it's welcoming them for ourselves as individuals, really that internal Process that really no one is ever fully privy to, regardless of how close you are to your spouse or a best friend, or, you know, but just the, the range of human experiences, emotions that come up for, for anyone, right? And saying like, uh, and Nathaniel Brandon, you know, talked about this um, years ago, you know, just sort of like the things we disavow, the things that we cut off from ourselves, um, you know, sometimes people talk about, you know, shadow side. So I think, you know, the more that we can just be attuned. And, and to just welcome it as part of the human condition. I don't always feel charitable. I don't always feel loving. I don't always feel compassionate. I think, you know, I have a lot of that, you know, maybe more than some people and that's great. But the reality is there's a good and a dark and, a you know, those are all part of me. I think that's the first part, right, is, is being able to be comfortable with whatever comes up for ourselves and just sit with it. It's why meditation is so great. I think it's why mindfulness is so great. Um, you know, even the idea that life is suffering, you know, one of, sometimes people think it was one of the first tenets of Buddhism, like just that, you know, it's all welcome. Um, and then I think the other one is being able to tolerate that in other people. Especially when initially it seems like whatever's going on is in violation of something that we hold dear. So, one of the times where I really felt motivated um, to kind of talk about this idea and to, to want to teach it more overtly was, you know, and still obviously going on, but just, you know, in a few years ago with Black Lives Matter and the incidents, some of the incidents with police and the abuses that were happening and, um, and in so many places, which really broke my heart. You know, I, I have friends, and, you know, all over the place and um, police officers and, and people who have been victim to police abuses. I mean, these are all part of my circle growing up and to, to now. Um, but really, there was a sense, at least in some places, I don't think with, you know, a more complex uh, dialogue, where you were either for or against the police. That was it. You know, you were either you were for the police, and and anything that you know um was critical was was really seen as not being respectful of you know what a hard job it was or you were really you know anti-police and 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 the reality is you know the abuses happen they still happen there are terrible things that happen hard stop that is not okay and you can um and hopefully you are (laughs) Um, take real uh, concern action about that. You can also simultaneously hold the idea that many, many, many police officers are are doing the right thing. And that there is a tremendous service that's provided and that it might not be a perfect system right now, but so far we haven't figured out an alternative and but like so much of the conversation was, you know, one or the other. and what's interesting for me is I have at least five or six, and I have, you know, police officers in my family. I also have at least five or six um, friends that are police officers that are black men. And, you know, so right there is a the complexity, right? Like when for mm-hmm. for people that were breaking it down um, on more simplified lines. So I guess I, in those conversations, it really broke my heart because I think forcing people to choose um you really miss out on a lot at the end of the day abuses need to be they're absolutely unacceptable right it cannot be tolerated and so going back to your question about how do you make decisions you make decisions that uphold the values in which you or the company or the society agree to Um, and i'm a big fan of that does it mean though that we can understand that mistakes are made does it mean that we can't does it mean that two different things that happen um, might have a two you know two different qualities to them absolutely but, I don't think that people have the safety or the trust or the time or um or even the skill set. I mean, the reason I am so interested in this concept as an actual framework is because I think it's a skill that can be learned and and so that's why that's at least to me what i, I really find is the value
0: what is the um what would you say are the are the costs or the risks or the consequences? You know, if someone is resistant to either welcoming these, these opposites, holding the opposites at the same time, someone is resistant to wel- I, the idea of welcoming in some of the negative things that are happening in, for them, uh, what's the cost or consequence if people continue to wrestle with this and don't embrace that these can't be true or don't kind of sit, sit in the discomfort of experiencing both?
1: I think there's two. I think one is disrupted attachments. Right, I think it's the idea, you know, for um, relationships, connections, I I, I think there's a lot of unnecessary um, disruption that happens between, and especially when you think about like the political climate and, you know, families that are torn apart these days and Facebook people are, you know, I mean, just the idea that division, Um, the reality is most people are more similar than not. Most people, I, I always say, and I agree, I love to hear you say that earlier, I think most people get out of bed in the morning to do the right thing. Most people care, you know. Um, I think there's lots of factors that impede that for people at times, and you know, whether it's stress or whether it's abuse or I mean, there's just so many things, but the reality is, I really do believe in, you know, optimistically, human beings are good. I think that when we don't take the time to engage, uh, com- you know, in a complex way, I think relationships suffer. I also think the best outcome suffers. I mean when I think about sometimes, you know, some of the political discussions I've had, and we don't have to be, you know, without a specific thing, but if you think of a program, right? Often people are pro or against. For a lot of things I feel like, you know what? It's not perfect and it's the best we have at the moment, so therefore I'm supportive. Now, what I say to someone, there's a lot of issues with that. Absolutely. And when I do that, there is you know there is the opportunity for the, for us to say then well, what could it look like? What would be a better system how but as soon as you're entrenched in you know black and white or there's a lot of energy that goes into defending um sort of what's usually your imperfect anyway position that I also think um, short circuits real problem solving and progress
0: well that's what i I think as well as uh, uh, even before you said that, I was thinking it sounds like what also is a big cost of this is that you end up burning like in a really practical way, you end up burning a lot of energy wrestling with stuff that doesn't move the situation, the relationship, your challenge forward. And you can, when you burn a lot of that energy and your tank gets depleted, you're just not going to have the resources to make uh, either make clear decisions to think clearly or to be resilient against it. And so I think I agree with you that you know, and, and Sarah and I have had this conversation before. You know, when we started our relationship, there were a lot of a lot of scenarios. Obviously, we there were a lot of things that we connected on, but there were a lot of scenarios where we um, had some conflict. But when we could step away from that, the way that we would often describe it to each other, as a healthy way of reviewing it, is, is that we we were spending a lot of energy, kind of, and the hand gesture is to say like kind of down a lot of downward, kind of fighting against energy and that doesn't allow us to spend the energy that we want to um, elevate our relationship or grow our relationship there was a you know there was a bit of defending our own territories we defending our you know, who was right who was wrong who said this who said that or what's you know and, and battling on values or whatnot but when we can make that distinction it was a big shift for us i think but um when we we in partnership said, we don't want to be spending that, uh, burning that energy downward. We want to be lifting each other up and lifting this relationship up. And we're certainly not perfect on that, but I think we are, are, have been able to shortcut and short circuit a lot of the downward energy that we used to spend. And even if we can just neutralize it in the moment, that's victory. But we also very, are very much more quick to, to bounce back much more quick to, to have a connecting conversation, not a destructive conversation. And I mean, always say that we are um, when we take the time to really step away from the intensity of the moment and reconnect and come back together and have a really honest, loving conversation, we always feel more connected. We always feel stronger together and we all, always feel more empowered uh, for the direction that we're going. And it's uh you know, it is dealing with life challenges, but it's a, a it's taught us that we can uh, we can hold the opposites that we're feeling that moment, the, the love for each other, but also the despise for each other in that moment, and um, mm-hmm. and very quickly, and, and it's a it's a I like to refer to it as a, a muscle that we're we're growing, yeah, you know, we're getting better and better and shorter and shorter on the on the negativity or the conflict, and stronger and stronger on the positivity and the growth.
1: No, oh, I love it. I love it. And I do think it's, it's a concept and then it's a muscle to, to be developed. You, you know, you can, you start to recognize it, it more quickly. You, you know, you can recognize it, especially in other people. Um, I think it's hard to do sometimes with yourself. You know, it's amazing. I, I would say it comes up almost all the time in my coaching and someplace, in, you know, in, in the relationship or in training or, and it is amazing. It just, once you put your finger on it, like, yep, they're both true. And it's like, all right, now we're open to to other things or a better path forward, or, um, you know, yeah, no, I, I, for me, it has been an idea that I have felt most passionately about. Um, I think it's a real life changer when you can expend that energy elsewhere, um, and it and it helps with both the connection and also with internal peace as well.
0: So, there's two two things that come to my mind. Two things I want to ask you is. One, you just mentioned it comes up all the time in your coaching. Just again, for someone who's listening to this and, and is, is open to the idea of embracing their own opposites uh, and sitting with both mm-hmm. and welcoming the challenges that they're, they're experiencing, um, just to maybe give them a bit of maybe hope or maybe inspiration, what would you say, if you think, about, think of all the co- coaching conversations you've had, where you've introduced the idea that to someone that both parts of their challenges are true, what tends to be the, the immediate reaction that you get from people when they come to the realization it's okay to accept both? And what might be the lasting impact of that on, a, on that client?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's two scenarios that happen. I think one is that people aren't even aware of that other opposite, right? Because they're so closed off from you know, feelings that they would deem unappealing. That they're they're not even aware. Like sometimes I stop and say, "Gosh, it's it's got to be really frustrating to have your you know elderly mom that lives in your house and curses at you when you bring her dinner at night and does what you know." So so let's just stop for a minute and just grieve that loss. And and sometimes right there, it's just incredibly powerful. Where giving someone permission to even notice um, is huge, um, you know. And then I think the other part is really you know, giving people permission to when they, they are sort of wrestling. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Am I broken? Am I high functioning? Am I, am I likable? Am I not likable? They're both true. Right. You know, and, and, and so once you do that, I think that there is just a real sense of peace that people um, often will experience. I think sometimes for certain issues, it's a resolution. So, you know, when you're you know upset that you're, spouse your, your formerly healthy spouse is no longer able to participate in your family right the idea that when those feelings come up that's okay i think it really helps with the duration and the intensity i mean what we know about emotions is you gotta notice them you have to feel them and when you feel them it actually puts you on the right track to managing them better what's the worst thing is to try to say i'm not sad i need to put on a happy face what do i have to be sad about it's a sunny day outside no you know what you're sad today and that's okay and be sad, and it's amazing when you give people permission to just be in those emotions, how it changes the, the feel, and then, and then how they move forward. And then I think, of course, with, you know, outside of the emotional piece, which is huge, I think everything is sort of, emotions are the foundation, but even thinking about, I do a ton of crisis intervention with teens, or conflict resolution, people will bring me in because a you know group isn't getting along or whatever. and it's amazing how much energy can be then diverted to a different or a better future when you can first say true true yep you both have a point they're both true we don't have to you know so i i think that's the last thing um also effect is that it frees up creativity and it and it and it helps Mm -hmm. to um stoke those relationships going forward so that we're we're not on you know we're not on the, the the triangle in a sense, in, in terms of like opposite sides. We're really uh, moving towards a shared future and problem solving.
0: And uh, I guess the second part of that double-barreled question I asked you was that, that those are all wonderful examples uh, and specifics um, that you've experienced how people react immediately. What tends to be kind of the the longer-term impact when people are able to embrace those opposites? So that's the, the second part I asked you is, you know, beyond that initial sense of peace and freeing and up some creativity and everything else you said. What what are you noticing that changes for people? What changes in their trajectory going forward?
1: Well I think it's the application in other places. You know, whether it's the mantra that I give them that you don't have to choose or it's all welcome or, you know, um I think it's their ability to then see that come up for them in other places. You know, usually the first learning is, is quite powerful, but then you know, it's easy to kinda of go back to business as usual. But I think for people that really are working it, which, you know, most of my clients are and human beings want to work it, it's really a different way of experiencing life with much more peace and an openness and um, I think flexibility. So yeah. for for the people that I've seen that really turns the light on for them, it's it's just it leads to a greater sense of um Expansiveness and, and, as I said, I think acceptance and peace and, and often better relationships as well. It depends on the dynamic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I can see how the, the it, it, uh, it enables the penny to drop in a variety of different areas when they have the heightened sense of self-awareness for sure. The the the, the other thing I wanted wanted to ask about and come back to is, uh, I think you you nailed it on the head when you said it's often easier to notice this in other people than it is in yourself sometimes. And you also mentioned earlier mm-hmm. the, uh, it can help us. Um, tolerate things in other people, and again, if, if someone is listening to this, I'd be curious to know what your your experience or your advice would say. Uh, your advice would be that if someone is dealing with maybe a really challenging character in their life, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a colleague or a boss, and they really um, are finding some some uh, you know kind of like a a really deep conflict. Like they, they either see the person doesn't share values or this person is continuing to act in a certain way that really rubs in the wrong way. What advice, because I understand what you're saying about, you know, balancing or, or holding the opposites within themselves. What advice would you give someone if they're dealing with a really challenging person on how to apply what you the framework that you're talking about into a way that gives them a better resolution?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. I mean, I think the first step is really to allow yourself to experience all aspects of that relationship, right? I really like this part. I, you know, they're a generous dad, um, they're racist, they're this, they're whatever, they're, you know, so just really being able to sort of look at what is, as far as you can see, obviously, you know, all of our vision is always limited, right, through our own lens, but all of those different aspects. Um, And I think it's to give yourself permission to feel however you want about those aspects. You know, it would be be impossible for me to be romantically connected to someone that's a racist. It's just not going to happen. But at the same time, you know, there are situations where you could fall in love with someone or whatever, or something can emerge or that's very troubling. And so I think that the first part is to really allow yourself to see all parts um, to widen that perspective, to allow yourself to see the good, to you know, be critical about the bad. And then ultimately it really is about then going back to the accountability and the decision making, because I, I think that the confusion is, this is not the absence of like, you know, decision-making or anything goes or sure. It's all, it's all welcome. No, the experience, the, the, the intellectual piece, the, the, the emotional piece, it's welcome to recognize, but ultimately you might have to make a hard decision. you know there are people that are tremendous parents but not very good at something else that would ultimately say, you know what, i have to end this relationship. but i don't think you can do that when so much energy is being expended in either not seeing a full picture or trying to defend, you know, a different aspect or i think it really requires some spaciousness, some big picture time, um the paying attention to all of the things that arise for you and then ultimately you have a decision to make and 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 so that's always the part two to this you know you can be a great staff person but when you do something that's not okay with a kid you need to be fired you know you can be a, a police officer that has had a tremendously awesome career and is well liked and whatever but when you do something that steps over the line or you abuse power or whatever you lose your right to be a police officer You know what i mean so it's again it's not like so i think it's but i think you first have to engage in that spacious thinking and that welcoming of all that is as much as possible human beings are never going to be able to see the full picture it's always through our lens it's always through other things but do the best you can in a calm place also that's another thing is that you don't want to make decisions when you're sort of in your survival part of your brain but that you're really giving yourself but you're connected with compassion you're calm you're loving you're, you know, doing whatever you need to do to put yourself in your best decision-making place. Um, and then for many people, you have a hard decision to make, but it's worth it. Yeah. And I think when you devote that kind of attention to the process, you ultimately feel much better about your decision. I think you're much, uh, you know, you're less inclined to have regrets when you have thoughtfully opened yourself up to that process.
0: I agree. I was, what I was going to say is that uh, you might have to make a very tough decision, but you can make that decision with a sense of, uh, you know, groundedness or centeredness or, or confidence or self assuredness, because you're coming at it with, um, with a fresh perspective, maybe a wider perspective, but but you're more connected to your truth than you than you would be if you were just making it out of stress or anger or resentment. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. Well, Catherine, I really appreciated the the all the perspective that you've brought to this conversation, and you certainly give me a lot to think about. I know you've given our listeners a lot to think about uh, with all your examples. I can see. Um, I'm very excited to sit down with Sarah and have our after-show conversation about this. And so, I thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and being with us today. Be- before I ask the final question, where can people learn more about you or perhaps get in touch with you?
1: Oh um, well. Certainly easy to uh, uh, contact me on LinkedIn, uh, Catherine Bailey, and certainly feel free to email me directly, which is Kat, K-A-T-B-A-I-L-E-Y, number two at Gmail. I'm always happy to uh, be a resource or to speak with people directly.
0: Great. I will be sure to include those in our, in our show notes. So the final question, Catherine, for your time on The Ignition Show, what do you hope to ignite in the world?
1: Very simple for me, I think, actually. It's really um, about love. It's really about love, connection. People are at their best when they're uh, connected. And that's my highest value. You know, what's the most loving thing to do? How can I express love? How can I? And whether it's for relationships or people or your job or the mountains. um, For me, it's just really about connection and love.
0: That's great. Well, there's no doubt that the world needs more connection, more love, more compassion, more tolerance in the challenging times we're in. and, And thanks to you. Uh, you're putting a little dent in that universe. So thanks again, Catherine, for your time. And Aww, I really appreciate thanks, your, your time.
1: Pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: As always, we want you to get the most of the time that you've invested listening here. This show is only valuable if you apply what you learned and Most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned and found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect. That's theignitionshow.com slash connect. And let us know what struck you and what was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today. You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there where we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That's a shorter follow-up episode where we, it's my wife and business partner, Sarah, and I talk about what we learned and what we took away from this conversation and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember... Whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.